Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. We're back again. I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And it's an episode of AB Testing. It's, to be clear, our 145th episode of Season 1 of AB Testing. Continues. Where did you go? So here's Wait, the deal. What do you Brent, mean? Where did I go? Brent, you well, your voice like dropped like 25 decibels, which is going to be fun for me later. But also, Brent, because he's on Windows, can't get his camera to work. So now I can't tell where his microphone is. I can't tell what's in his hand. I can't tell what he's eating. It's a <laughs> it's a it's a black hole on one side of the podcast today. Yeah, so we are, me and the three are all going to, are all going to enjoy how quickly does Alan trigger when he doesn't even know what the hell is Brent doing now? Brent was a couple of minutes late and I was moments away from just sending a message out to Twitter and saying first DM reply gets to be on AB testing with me this week. <laughs> Unfortunately, I lost, and it's Brent again. But and actually, you, it, you it, can it's still good. do that. No, 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 no. This is a conversation <laughs> that uh, the one I want to have at least a little bit today. Maybe the whole time. We'll see what happens. Uh, we'll see what once we get out of our tangents. It's probably better for you and I. How you been? What's new? Anything exciting? Uh, yeah, I don't think I mentioned this in our last podcast. So uh, I'll, I'll just proactively say I regretfully uh, inform you and the three that I survived my surgery last Friday. Oh, what surgery did you have? Oh, is that for your, your hand, wrist? No, no. This is the, I was thinking about it on the way oh, in. Oh, wait, did you finally get the lobotomy? Uh, I'll let you finish. Yeah, 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 that's, that was me attempting to do a drooling noise. No. I had a hernia repaired. Ah. And they just peel the skin back and shove it back in and sew you back up? No. And it's unfortunate. I would make a horrible doctor. I would improvise too much. It's unfortunate the camera is not working for me because then I would absolutely torture Alan and show him all of the scars. Maybe it's the internet (laughs) sparing me. First and foremost, uh, up until then, I did not know what a hernia is. Do you know what a hernia is? Yeah, I do. Do you? Okay. For the listeners then, I guess, because I I did not know. I mean, uh, as we've talked about before, I'm in my 50s now. I did not learn exactly what a hernia was until three months ago. And essentially, as you get older, and, and, and I hate going to the doctors, and because I'm now at an age where so many doctors start their statement with those three words, as you, I guess it's four words, get older, the, the wall of your abdomen can wear thin. When it does, uh, one of the purposes of your abdomen is basically to keep your keep, your keep, in, keep your stuff where it belongs. 
Keep your intestines right where it belongs. Yes. Unfortunately, as the process of digesting things, what it does is it, it creates places in your intestines where it will push against the your abdomen. And normally your abdomen will hold it back. What happens though, as you get older, your, your abdomen weakens and then, uh, your intestines are able to push through. This is so disgusting and gross. Every, everybody just keep on hitting fast forward until we're talking about something else. And certainly overexerting. Uh, like for me, the cause, I, I know what it was, is I was doing yard work and I was uh, acting like I was 18 and, and just aggressively moving bags and bags of... And anyway... It can be dangerous uh, when you have a hernia uh, because if it's if it's not reducible, which is medical term for you can push it back through the hole, uh, then one of the things that's potential happen is uh, it could lose it. That part of the intestine that's poking through could lose its blood supply and die. And then shortly after it, so will the host. Excellent. Yeah. But they got to put that together like Humpty Dumpty, right? Yep. And I got lucky. Um, my my surgeon is actually known for being one of the best in the North uh, Pacific Northwest. They'll all tell you that, man. Uh, yeah, that's true. They get um, a little trophy that says, I'm the best. And, Use me. Uh, and I had performed a robotic surgery. So I have currently three scars on on my stomach and three itty bitty scars and one was for uh the the whatever the the instrument they use they basically a surgeon chopsticks right itty bitty little hole that they string whatever that is that they do the next hole is for a camera and that that middle hole was is literally like an inch above my belly button and then the third hole is where they stuff in a tube and they blow me up like a balloon with carbon dioxide. Okay, so right now I'm just going to say for our two listeners who are left, could <laughs> one of you send me a message on Twitter in two weeks on Friday, maybe midday, and remind me to not ask Brent what he's been up to? That would be great. I think it's, I think it's going to help the podcast. So just uh, thanks in advance for that. You, you don't you don't want to learn about no robotic no. surgery. This you know? is uh, let me check the, the podcast. Ab podcast testing agile software leadership. Yeah, it doesn't fit. Oh, I, I'm my, glad you're okay. My my um, apologies. I, I'm let's, glad. Let's move I, forward I, then. Yeah, boy, oh boy, man, you are old. I was teasing Brent. Chronolo- I've been on the planet longer than Brent, but. For whatever reason, you just seem way older. I don't get it. Uh, it it's it's because I'm wiser. I, I think that's it. Mm, I think it's something else. We'll figure it out. Have I been up to anything? No. Yeah, I've been up to getting mad that the COVID rates are going back up again. That's what I've been up to. Come on, peeps. We, we we run the risk of waxing political. I know. I, I All I want to say is everything I want to say is just going to landslide into 
just be careful out there. Don't, you don't need, I don't know why we're not ready to have big festival concerts yet. I'm talking to you, Lollapalooza. We're not ready to have Florida, uh, exist. I saw a bumper sticker, by the way, that you'd love. It said, um, DeSantis 2024, make America Florida. I wanted to, I wanted to slap on a just say no sticker right next to it, but I didn't have one with me. Uh, All right. uh, Off of the political podcast on to, uh, I, I I will just say I I mean I don't want Florida, but I would pick Florida above California any day. I'll just say that right now. It, 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 they're totally different versions of crazy sauce. And then since we're on it, why the hell is Cuomo not already impeached? What the hell? I don't get that either. Uh, politics are broken. Why it, why is yeah. it that Trump is still even? allowed to hold public office again in the future if he wants. Why is DeJoy still in charge of the post office? There's all kinds of crap that's wrong. I got two years till my daughter is out of college and I'll be accepting free agent offers for the country that wants me to move there the most. So two more years on my contract. And then I would like to, I'd like to explore new opportunities in new countries. I'm, I'm freaking serious. It's, it's just too broken and nobody gives a crap about fixing it. No, and, it, and the people that do aren't in the position to do it. So it's just it's all about power and money and not about helping people. And it pisses me off. So anyway, speaking of being yeah. pissed off, I think it's I'd like to talk about this a little bit, although I do find the absolute irony and potential inappropriateness of two white guys, two white old dudes having this conversation, but I still want to have it. I'm assuming that you and or our listeners have both have at least heard of, if not read a lot of the articles and accusations around the uh, Activision Blizzard lawsuits. I have not heard anything about this. Okay, I will, I will catch you up and then I want to have a little bit of a talk about it. This topic is, two wait, white first dudes thing, is not the right conversation. So is Blizzard is Blizzard a customer of of Unity? Oh, probably. So I probably shouldn't go into it. All I'll say is there is some bad behavior. And it's just it just it just hurts me to see like someone told me a long time ago that the way to figure out what your values are are to think of the things that really push your buttons the most and your values are the opposite. And fairness is such a huge, for whatever reason, such a huge value for me. I can watch a sporting event in a sport I don't care about with teams I don't care about. But if I see a bad call or something unfair happen, I just get riled up and mad. I can't handle seeing things that are unfair probably shouldn't go into the details of that stuff, but just yet another example of people being treated horribly and unfair. I can talk about the times early in my career when I saw this at Microsoft. Again, I'm not going to name names. It's not fair of me, a secondhand person to do that. But one of my friends, a, a woman, was constantly harassed, had sexual propositions made to her by her boss. The guy was married with kids. It went on for a year before he finally, at least in this case, he finally, you've heard this before, Brent decided to spend more time with his family. That's the, oh, that, it, that's the it, Microsoft line when you, when, when an exec is fired. It wasn't uh, special projects. 
It's not, well, special projects means they're still employed. They just take them out of their team. They remove the, they just remove right. the sore from the team. But when someone's when an exec that's fired at Microsoft, it was almost always they decided to spend more time with their family. It was kind of hilarious. But you know, I saw uh, what are they called? Microaggressions. Not as much in my last few years there. I I do, I do say that, but early. There was a little bit more of a frat boy culture, and I did see that in some teams. And just and I think, given who I am now, if I, back then I would have done more about it. Now that I'm who I am now, I don't see it. But it just, I don't like. Well, let let me actually take this out of the the negative into the positive a little bit as I can. So one, I'm just mad. I'm just part of me is mad this stuff goes on, and part of me is mad that people can't just treat others i just don't get it i see this happen the golden rule man just treat others like you'd like to be treated i don't get bullying whether it's male on male male on female female on male etc i just it just irks me at all and i i just don't want to see it and that got me thinking about just diversity in tech because another thing happened this week totally a different thing but it made me think so stack overflow did their their survey and they published their results, 82,000 responses to their developer survey. And you're not going to believe this is a segue. All right. So, and they've published the information. It's just demographic information. Nothing really exciting. Here's the languages people use. Here's the salaries, et cetera. But one thing kind of stuck out with me, 82,000 responses, 82,286 open to any developer going to Stack Overflow who wanted to fill out the survey. So they're getting a little bit of a, there's a bias there. I forget which one it's going to be a, what's the bias when all you have is the people that actually responded information and not a full gamut of people, whatever that one is. Right. But uh, it, just short of, go ahead. It's, it, there's definitely a selection bias. It's a selection bias. Look- That's the one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So of those 82,000, sorry to keep saying the number, uh, 92, just short of 92% of the responses were men. Just over 5% were women with some uh, non, non-binary and prefer not to say filling in the rest. 92% of the responses were men. I don't know what your teams were like. Like, I was on a team once uh, at Microsoft that was uh, almost, it was like 45% women. Never been close to that before. I went and looked just for transparency. I went and looked at my current team and it's uh, 23% female. So I have a couple questions that I want to go over today. There, there, right. there, There's the big lead in Brent's going, Alan, this is, I'd rather talk about my surgery, man. <laughs> yeah. So any, anyway, they blew me up like a balloon with the carbon. Yeah. No, no, this is, this is an important topic. You know, I can commit on this podcast and to my team. It's like as my team grows in, in the next year, I'm definitely doubling down on getting a more diverse team and, and not, not just diversity, men and women, but all the different flavors we can get there. I've talked before how on the podcast we have and I didn't Brent and I didn't have our yearly business meeting yet. Well, actually, we've never had one. As I mentioned before on the podcast, we I take all any money I get for talks or courses like the course on ministryoftesting.com on an introduction to modern testing, which is excellent. Any money I get from that, anything about modern testing where I'm paid for it, that money just goes into the AB testing podcast bank fund. And AB testing is an LLC uh, just so I can get a tax ID so I can open a bank account for it. So there's some money in that account. And I think 
with your approval, no pressure, man, as, as we're recording, I can just delete this part if you don't think it's cool. I do want to donate $500 each to both Girls Who Code and the Women in Tech charities. There's 5013Cs. Uh, on behalf of AB testing, it's only a little, but hopefully it helps just get a few more women, people of color, et cetera, into, into tech. Because I think we're losing out. I'm, I just, again, I go to fairness. We're losing out by not having, I can pick on ourselves, just having a bunch of white dudes doing the job. We're losing out. So what do you think? Is that cool with you? Can I spend our money that way? Certainly, I, 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 I like the idea of Girls Who Code. I like that one a lot. When, when we talk about the, the, the other one that you brought up, I'm wondering if... It's actually called Girls in Tech. I'm sorry. It's girlsintech.org. Yeah, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how we diversify. Right, because it's. You, why don't we do this? This is better, actually. Let, let's let's get our listeners to help us figure it out. I want AB testing to give a thousand dollars to wherever is going to we think is as a group going to make the most as a community the most difference in helping diversify and, in my words, make fair the tech world. And it can be one place, multiple places. I am willing to take input on that, but. I would like to put our money where our mouth is and see if we can just make even the smallest little difference here. Because you and again, you and I, sure, we're in charge of teams. We can do uh, We will definitely do our part in hiring, but uh, we can't do it by ourselves. Here's one thing, and I think I may have shared it on a podcast before. Right? I feel like I have, right? Because you keep talking about two old white people and I'm going to push back. On, on that as a concept. The fact that we're two old white people is meaningless here, right? I've, I've done the research and I can sit and I can waste the rest of the podcast explaining to you why diversity and inclusion are important. And it will not be at all about body parts or color, right? It, it's, it's, I don't know if I've, I've shared this, right? So I grew up, so I come from what is termed as white trash roots. So there is a lot in my familial history that's in alignment with a lot of the, the, the poor downtrodden um, type phenomenon or, or classic demographics. That's the word I'm looking for that, that we hear about. Non-trivially, I do not feel any association with the term white privilege. I, I, I personally find that term offensive uh, because of my family history. But ignoring that aspect, right, the, the diversity and inclusion, it is, let me, let, me, let me just try to summarize it. Like diversity, why is it important? Diversity is not about demographics. It's about how you experience life, okay? And how you experience life is also associated with demographics. In other words, diversity and inclusion, like what race you are, what gender you are, is not causal, but heavily correlated. Are you following me so far, Alan? I, I, I know am so far. Okay. All right, I'll, fantastic. I'll let you go a little farther before I reel you back in. All right. Uh, for example, women. There's been lots of specific studies around gender studies that show that women in in leadership positions actually boost uh, companies' performance. 
And it is it is in no small part because uh, women's experience of the world is often more they're often less risk adverse. They're often more collaborative. They they want to hear the opinions of others. Right. However, it's not solely owned by women. And then there's a lot of aspects where where I'm sure you've encountered these where whether certain women that by their gender are women, but are they're actually the, their style and their training, their culture or whatever. I don't know how they got there, but their behavior is very toxic masculine. The, the benefit of diversity is getting these other different definitions into the pool of what's right and going these other right ways of approaching problems are all just as right, but they, they come from different. So if you, uh, I'm, I'm okay. losing myself. I, I, I'm going, I'm going to reel you in here because I think you're, 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 you're walking a thin line. And I, I, I am not and, walking and, a thin line. I am. And I will, I will assert this. Like, what I am doing is I am trying to share the science behind diversity and inclusion and around the studies that have been done here and diversity getting at the end of the day. Okay. I, I found a way of doing it at the end of the day. Diversity is around getting a diversity of ideas into the ecosystem. Okay. And and when you get multiple different ideas, what happens, Alan? You get great ideas. And right. I, I we are stifling. We, we, we are blocking our path to get there because we don't have a way to get those diverse ideas into our teams. Right. And that's where inclusivity comes in. Because everybody has their own personal identity. They have their own sense of, do I feel included or not? And what the science has shown around inclusivity is you will not gain the benefits of diversity if people don't feel included, if they so don't feel that, psychological that, safe. That's exactly the topic I wanted to get into. Awesome. Uh, I will. Be, I don't want to dwell on this. I will say I, I will disagree with you on on white privilege being uh, offensive. I think it's a thing. And I think there are plenty of studies that would show it would exist. But I want to move on because what can happen, exactly what you said, is the problem is, is what we read and what I saw, what I have seen is that you can get into a situation where people are afraid to speak up. They're afraid to put their ideas in there. They don't have psychological safety. Uh, and and you don't get psychological safety by itself. It has to come with transparency and accountability. Though to me, those three things have to work together. So, what is psychological safety, Brent? I kind before, of already defined it, but but go ahead. No, 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 no. But before, yeah, because before we continue on, like the the one thing I also want to call out: you and I being old white guys is not what matters here. What matters here is that we prioritize collaboration, psychological safety, and the birthplace of ideas. Those who don't, like in your position at work, Alan, if you got replaced by someone who fit this other characteristic but lost that environment, that goal, that initiative you have around psychological safety, I'm going to say it's harming that company. Okay. And, yeah, no, I agree. And that's that's all I'm going to say. I, I think there's too much of this focus on 
on on, on birth characteristics, but okay. I'm going to get. I, I disagree, but let's go on. Psychological safety. Fair enough. Psychological safety is essentially the construct, or it is where you have an environment where people can feel they can say what they view is a true view of the world and not be bullied by it, feel. Yeah, and not face any repercussions. And not face repercussions. Right. And it, it's critical to call out that there's no way to have, uh, like one of our values at Unity is best ideas win. Uh, that statement cannot, can never be true without psychological safety because you'll never, you never have uh, even a remote guarantee of hearing all the ideas. Well, and actually you don't even want to hear the, I mean, you just want the ideas to be breeding with the other ideas. Right. Right. And if the ideas are silent, how is that going to happen? And, and I have a bunch of ideas throughout here also, but let's, I think it's worth it to talk about what are some things, what are some things you do in your org? What are, the, what are some things you've seen that work to help build a culture of psychological safety? So I am constantly working through this. There are two things that I have done in the past that worked very well on this. Number one is I ban, well, the very first thing that I did is I would have an individual speak up and detail what they are going on. And then I would give them permission uh, and I, I've shared this on the podcast before. It's essentially during a retrospective, the person who's sort of walking through what happened is often generally the person who did the work. And I, I say, all right, you are to you are to tell the story and everyone else in the room is going to operate under the assumption that you were perfect in every way. Right. And that it was actually the rest of the team. If anyone's to blame, it's the rest of the team. We let you down. And the team's job is to figure out how. How did we let you down? Like if this ticket, usually in retrospect, we're talking about tickets that went into the weeds. And it could be and that creates a, a an environment where each individual, as they're listening to the story, they're they're now thinking through. Okay, how did I actually let this this person down? Like I actually saw like stand up two weeks ago. I, I I thought this thought, but I kept it quiet, right? And and now now this this ticket suffered. The the team suffered. So I started thinking through the consequences of this independence in a way that forces individuals to collaborate together. Other times. Other times I've, I've, I mean, a very simple technique is you, you look for and you simply ban any semblance of blame language. Just ban it. That's like setting the framework for it. But I've also found you have to keep kindling the fire because even in an organization that has a pretty good level of psychological safety, you'll still find occasions where people feel afraid to make a mistake or they, they're not public enough with their mistakes, which of course eliminates the ability to, or the opportunity to learn from those mistakes, which is the thing I want. For example, we review, as I mentioned before, we have a weekly review, a weekly team meeting where we look at projects and dates. If someone has to move a date, the only real question is, okay, cool. What did we learn? And emphasizing that learning. Uh, another thing is one thing that helps in my org is 
my pure, what would I call this? Pure, unabashed. Oh, I'll put it this way. I consciously or unconsciously, I, you know, my idea thing, the way to get good ideas is get a lot of ideas and throw the bad ones away. They watch me screw up all the time by, or watch me propose dumb ideas. And when somebody pushes back, uh, I won't give the exact example. I posted something. Hey, I was talking to so-and-so. We thought it'd be great if we did this. What do you think? And what can happen in an org without psychological safety or a hippo org where the highest paid person's opinion matters the most, they would just be, yes, sir, we'll go do it. But instead, even one of our newer employees, it was great. He pushed back and told me why it was a bad idea. And then I very quickly and publicly said, thanked him for pointing that out and said, you're right. We shouldn't do this. Makes a lot of sense. And just it's continually finding those examples of showing people it's okay to speak up. It's oh, there's not a hierarchy or a rule you have to follow. One of the things that pushes my buttons, if it has to do with fairness or just lack of safety, is the there's probably a name for this move. You know, when I'm when Brant, when I can't get you to do something, so I get I tell my boss to tell your boss to tell you to do it. That up and over and down. If that ever happens, I just flip out. Oh, do you? Yeah, I I, I cannot handle that. If, if you need something, ask for it. Yeah. I yeah. haven't. Probably, I have, probably nothing to do with safety, but it just, it, it got me thinking on that track. No. So for me, I don't, I actually don't flip out uh, on that one. I, I internalize that. I introspect. I go, I, I now at a point where I operate on the assumption that I had not earned this person's trust and that's why they did it. And I, 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 so and and that actually is also the way I then I then go and do the confront. Yeah, and to be clear, I don't flip out externally. It just it pushes my buttons inside and I just I will just have them go contact the person directly. But right, but I will tell you, I will tell you if the reason why they did that so where it happens with me the most often is because they did talk to me and I told them no and they didn't like the answer. Right. And then that one, they still need to have that discussion. I, right. I believe in managers, but not hierarchy. And I tell my team that all the time we have managers, but not hierarchy. And sometimes people who are a skip level or two below me, they'll ping me on Slack. Say, I'm sorry to bother with, with you on this directly, but you know, it's like, and I remind them, don't be sorry. We have managers, not hierarchy and anybody. And that's one good thing about it's usually a new employee. One thing about unity in my org, especially because I care about this, is everyone is everyone feels comfortable or should feel comfortable talking to anyone. And of course, as my organization grows, it's a bigger fire to keep kindled. And that fire is psychological safety, accountability, transparency. The the other thing that you just called out, just to shift back to that, like I do think one thing that's really important is to lead by example on that one. As a leader. I admit my mistakes all of the time. I will publicly do self-deprecation all of the time. I, 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 I apologize to my team and go, wow, you know what? If you guys didn't report to the world's worst manager, this would have happened this way. But it didn't. It happened this other way. Right. Leading by example where, where specifically I acknowledge my mistakes and that I show 
what the preferred behavior or the preferred action would have built basically creates trust within within the team and we have much more friendly conversations. Yes. Right? The, and let, let's right? talk about trust for a minute. Actually, were you, were you going? Because I want, I want to pivot yeah, on that. Yeah, that, that's where I was going. I think trust is that basis of psychological. I mean, there's a, another model that fits in well with that term. It's it's the the pyramid from Pat Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It talks about the first dysfunction is trust. If you don't trust each other, if you don't have that safety, you can't have the, in his words, uh, you can't have, he calls it conflict. I, I like, I prefer debate. If trust is missing, we're afraid to have that debate and we, and we, or we take the debate personally and we can't flesh out those ideas the way we need to, if we can't debate over what about this, what about this, what should we, I think we should do this. We have to be able to have a debate and discuss and not be afraid to tear someone's idea down or to build someone else's idea up in order to come up with the best solution. But without trust, you can't have that healthy conflict. And then once you can have that debate, then uh, something Amazon calls disagree and commit a lot. But that, and again, not putting Amazon as a model company, but without that debate, people aren't committed. You have a lack of commitment. People feel like, okay, they're doing what they want to do. I think it's the wrong thing. I'm not going to support it. If you feel like your voice was heard and a decision is made that wasn't entire, you know, wasn't the thing that you wanted to do, you've, you've had enough debate about it that that commitment can be shared across the team. Without commitment, you can't have accountability because I'm not going to be accountable for a thing or I've shared accountability for a thing that I didn't believe in and was thrust upon me by the hippo. And without accountability, you can't get results. So this basis of trust or psychological safety is critical for flow of productivity and output and, uh, well, team health, which has also been studies shown as correlated to organizational health is directly correlated to the quality of product that organization produces, whether it's uh, software or whatever. But organizational health is critical. And it all starts with that trust, that psychological safety. Then you can build on that and get a team who actually just gets crap done. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you said it in a, in a different, distinct way than I would have. Uh, but I, I completely agree with everything you said. The, it's because uh, I'm absolutely right. Go on. Like the single most important book I've ever read on this topic is one called Getting to Yes. And, and it was written by a masterful negotiator. And it's a, it's around how how do you have discussions? And it's still very value today. And one of the key things is how do you how do you convert what they call a positional argument to a principled argument? So a positional argument in this particular case is, for example, let's say I disagreed with the topics that Alan wanted to present for A-B testing. Okay. Well, he is in the position, right? He has all the uh, the editing equipment. He has the, the recording equipment. He absolutely could say, well, if you don't agree with me, Brent, then I guess the podcast is over for the day, right? He, I could, I don't imagine you would ever do this, but you could always do the, I'm going to take my ball and go home strategy because you're in the, you're in the position of power on that discussion. Okay. But a better approach would be a principle one. Okay. Okay. Alan, I propose this as the, the topic. 
So one of the things that I do with that focus is I try to convert it to anytime I see a dispute, anytime I see a discussion, right? How do I turn it into a principle discussion versus a positional one? And just as a metaphor, one I'm very fond of, a a difference in this is, let's say, Alan, you and I were were disagreeing on something. I'm not going to try to flesh out the podcast metaphor. It'll be too long-winded, right? In a positional discussion, you and I are sitting on opposite sides of the table. And then generally, one of us is going to win and the other one's going to lose. It, it, a positional discussion is 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 often always about, a, it, always, it always results in a win-lose proposition. In a positional or a pr- principal discussion, what, what we're trying to do is move you to my side of the table and let's put the problem on the other side. There are times where, where, hey, I want this, this, and that. And I'm like, okay, but the current implementation is going to take too long and I need it by this date. So can we can we can we come up with a different strategy? Right. I'm I'm laying out a principle that, hey, delivering this bare minimum by this date is an important principle for me. And you're you're stating I'm I'm lost in the metaphor. You are. Yeah. But the more you change it to say, what are the principles that you're making your decision on, Alan? How are you How are you thinking through this? Right. The more I can encourage you to say, I move away from, hey, I'm the guy in charge and I, I get to decide. And the more I can shift you to go, okay, here's, here's the principles that I, the constraints that I wish to have satisfied for, for whatever the final product is. Then we shift away to, okay, how do we invent a new solution that includes my definition of win along with your definition of win? Totally get it. I read that book many years ago. It's It focuses primarily on sort of the mediation negotiation aspect, which you've described very well. But it's also knowing when to use those tools versus other tools to make sure everyone's ideas heard. So I would use it as part of a suite there. I did look up though, by the way, disagree and commit was it's well, while it's an Amazon principle, uh, it's actually attributed to uh, Andrew Grove at Intel, whose high output management book is excellent. So yeah. So for me, me that book, what it, what I use it that one for, is is to to sort of help teach my folks how to communicate in a way, right? Yeah, my, my everybody. Worry- Every one of, one of the things you hear from me all the time, everybody on my team, everybody I have ever met is awesome. Their ideas may not be sufficiently thought out and their behaviors may, may have some negative consequences in the context that they're in, but they are an awesome human being. And part of my job as a manager is to do the right matchmaking or the right behavioral suggestions or teach them how to communicate so that they get their stuff across in a way that will construct a win-win environment. Yes. And coaching employees on communication and framing and all those things and listening is critical. The one thing missing, and again, I thought the book was good. It focused a lot on, and again, it's been 15 years since I've read it. That, me- that mediation, negotiation, like I said before, uh, what it doesn't tell you is, what I don't recall it telling you, 
is some of the best advice I can give a leader who wants to have an organization where best ideas win, where there's trust and there's safety that they don't do enough of. And that is shut up. Mm. Give You got to give your team room to talk. That's how you walk the talk. Cause there's so many people who say, Oh yeah, we have psychological safety. Cause I tell my team we do. And, and they blah, 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 blah. And they never shut up. I shut I up and actually, listen. Sometimes I will, I will agree with that. And I will take it. I don't know if I'll take it one step further or one step back, but if, if you're in a leader, slow down give additional time, like resist your urge to give advice for as long as you can and get better and better at better at, it's like learning to breathe or it's it's learning to hold your breath, right? Practice holding your breath for as long as you can and keep practicing it because the more you're quote unquote giving, giving this advice, the more and more, Instead of giving the advice, ask questions. So, ask the right yeah. questions. And let me point you to another book that I think is great. And this is not you you being the three or you, Brent. The Coaching Habit. And so do more coaching as a manager. And when you – a good coach, a, a bad coach, of course, would give you advice. Throw the ball higher. Hit the ball farther. Move your leg back. But a good coach will ask you, how does your right leg feel there? Or how does it feel where your hands are on the bat? What position is your hand in when you release that shot? They'll ask questions to get you to reflect and internalize what's going on. Of course, there's been some advice before that he can't do coaching. He can't grow entirely via coaching. But as a manager, it's getting people to reflect so they can learn. If you give advice, that's all you're going to do. And you're going to spend a lot of time giving advice to your team so they can get their stuff done. Instead, ask them those reflective questions. How did it feel when you gave that feedback? What do you think is, what do you think is the best way to solve this? Turn stuff around, ask questions. Uh, The Coaching Habit is so excellent. It's a book I've, it's not even that old. I've reread it three times now because every time I get some ideas that help me, help me help other people grow. Recommendation over. Five stars on Amazon. That's what I give it. Uh, if they've turned it into required training, uh, and actually, I've just uh, here at Microsoft, and I've just oh, recently, seriously, yeah. <laughs> I keep, I keep telling you, that Microsoft co- that company may drag its ass out of the gutter someday after all. Yep, I, I keep telling you, since Satya took over, it's it's a different place. Satya took over when I worked in a toxic environment at Microsoft, so there is that. Right, but he didn't have enough time to fix that, and I'm. I mean, I keep hearing Xbox is still a, an effing nightmare. So I don't know that it's fully done yet, but he's on the right path. I absolutely agree with that. No, and- I, I, I hope so because, uh, yeah, as the frat boys grew up and you have 45 year old frat boys running the company, it was a mess. So I'm glad to hear it's getting better and I trust you. And we talked about why team sucks last time. So you can go back and listen to the last episode for that. Anyway, I do want to give our listeners Brent had no idea what I was going to make him talk about today. So thanks, Brent, for that conversation when I sprung it all on you. But uh, I still have one more thing okay, I want to you, talk about. Do it quickly because I got to go. I have another meeting. 
Fair enough. Trust is everything. Okay. The, the actually the best manager I've ever, I ever had, he passed on one rule. And he said, if you only do one thing as a manager, the only thing that matters is you need to recognize that when you start off managing people, you have not earned their trust and work towards doing so. That is the only thing that matters. And I will tell you in my experience, that is 100% correct, right? You have to do it within a business context, but, but recognizing that you cannot be reorged into earning their trust and that it is on you as the leader to do so. If there's any secret rule I would say to my success as a manager, it is that one. All right. So I'm going to build on that and then we're going to close because that reminds me of yet another book I want to recommend, which is uh, Maxwell's Five Levels of Leadership. And he says, at first, you're put into a position of leadership. That's it. The next level is people have to give you permission to lead them. And that's your trust. And until you do that, these build just like Lanchoni's five five levels. Once people give you permission to lead them, then they'll actually work for you and they'll follow through and they'll do work and you'll get shared results. And then the next level of, of, of leadership is you focus almost all your work on people development because people see you as a leader. I'm not going to go into the deeply in the book to have people development. Then at the pinnacle, it's uh, your job is to create leaders and people just follow you because of you, because of who you are. Not because they have to, not because of hierarchy, but because of your leadership attributes. But uh, you can go read the book. But those first two levels really sunk your point home for me when I read this book. Uh, again, a book I've read a couple of times. But first, you're in a position of leadership, and then people have to give you permission to lead them. And there's definitely something to that. Completely and I've worked agree. with people who felt like, I'm the, I'm a whatever level leader, you have to respect me. I just hate that crap. No, I do not. You get nothing from title. You get nothing from position. You still have to earn it. Screw you. And you the, know who I'm talking about. You I don't. Do. I, I do. But yeah. Well, I, I, I have one person in mind when you say that. Um, and I'm pretty certain he would fall in that category. I, I've never worked for him. No, but, I, I have I have probably another one you're talking about. When I was in engineering excellence and crap, I am so late for this other meeting. Oh, my God. I just want to finish one point. Okay, Jesus. make your fucking okay. point. And, I'll, and I'll, <laughs> I'll bitch on Peter later. All right. The last thing I would say on this one is... Be anti-NIH. Be anti-not invented here in all forms. If you see in a team meeting that everybody's sort of cowtailing because the one person who is the domain expert is the one that's suggesting the advice, that means the other rest of the team doesn't feel like they're part of the solution. The way the more you can get them integrated and feel like they're inventing it along with that person, the more you're going to see this inclusive behavior, the more you're going to see psychological safety. That, that's obviously going to start creating some conflicts and some of, some of the advice we've given today in the podcast will help you mitigate it. But you need to get them having the conversations first, then make those productive. I am done. Go ahead and... No, I already did. So yeah, um, just right. yeah, already done. I am not Peter Lafort. Nor am I. <laughs> we'll see you next time, man. Thanks for the time today. And I'll have a good weekend. You too. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. 